We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Brother Caleb, I don't know if you knew my text when you read it this morning, but you read it from beginning to end, so you saved me five minutes so I could talk about other things. I'm just teasing. I appreciate him reading that text. This morning, as we have already in Sunday school been talking about God's expectations of us in our relationships in the home, between the husband and wife, between the mom and the dad and the children, uh, how we are to honor our parents. We talked about that the last couple of days up in Pigeon Forge. We've been speaking specifically about the marriage relationship. But this morning, I would like to speak to the church as a whole about the importance of something called or referred to as the spirit-filled marriage. You see, we are given tools by the indwelling Spirit of God that a person without Christ does not have. And with those tools comes great responsibility. I'm not saying it's to be a burden. It's actually to be embraced to make us better at all that we know that we're supposed to do. And in some cases, it comes with instruction to tell us that, hey, this action is incorrect. This action is in in contrast to the scriptures, and it needs to be uh, called out of your life. It needs to be taken out of your relationship. It needs to be taken out of your home and allow Christ to be the focal point of the relationship and of the home. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 22. You know, I, I think about this as we get into this verse, and I think about the fact that all of us think we're doing okay. You know, if you go, if you were in a break room somewhere and there were four guys sitting around talking about their marriage, they would all think that they're doing okay. It reminds me of the three ranchers that were sitting around the table, one from Oklahoma and one from Texas, the other one from Tennessee, and the one rancher said to the other one, he said, I can get in my truck and drive all day and never leave my ranch. That's pretty impressive. The guy from Texas said, well, that's no big deal. I can get in my truck and drive three days and never leave my ranch. The old rancher from Tennessee, just kind of under his breath, said, yeah, I had a truck like that once. (laughs) It really is about our perspective, amen? The truth is, all of us fall short. All of us are imperfect beings apart from Christ. All of us have room for improvement. If you don't believe that, then I'll speak to your spouse, and I'm sure they can help me a little bit. But I'm not here to batter you. I'm not here to make you feel like a failure. I'm here to focus your attention on our Savior, the only one that can change us and make us better, the only one that has a sole purpose of making us more like Christ. He's given us His Word to carve out the things that do not need to be there, but he's given us the skill of a surgeon in the Holy Spirit of God to know where to cut and where to remove so that we look like Christ in every area of our life. Chapter number 5 and verse number 22. I, I love to read verse number 21 also, just in case someone grabs a hold of verse 22 and holds it over their wife. But verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another... In the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. You know, when we look at this, I want you to understand that there are some characteristics that really should set us apart as believers in our relationship. Why is that? Because there are characteristics in the believer that should, be, that should set us apart from the world in general. 
You want to refer to the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Let me tell you, not fleshly characteristics. Those are spiritual characteristics if you allow the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you. Oftentimes we like to separate those words and say, well, I have this fruit of the Spirit. But you understand it's a singular word. It, it's, a, it's a package deal. You're either walking in the Spirit, you're emulating, you're, you're uh, showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, or you're not. You can't pick and choose and say, well, today I want to be joyful, uh, but I don't really want to love. Today I want to be long-suffering, but I, I choose not to have peace. No, if I'm going to walk the Spirit-filled life, then I recognize the fruit of the Spirit should all be present in my life at any time. The verse 21 tells us that being filled with the Spirit will transform our way of thinking so that we do not place ourselves ahead of others, but so that we walk in humility and mutual submission. Thus the Holy Spirit, when He controls a life, will not only revolutionize our walk with God, but He will also revolutionize our relationships in our lives. Starting in verse number 22 that we read there just a moment ago, Paul begins to really flesh out this thought when he gives us the idea of what it would be like to have a Spirit-filled marriage. This morning, I want to really begin as we talk about this spirit-filled message or marriage. I want to under, want us to understand that we must first begin with the foundation. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were driving, and there was a new bridge being constructed. As a matter of fact, half of the bridge was already finished, and they had just uh, blown up the old bridge and dropped it into the river, and they were beginning to prepare the site and lay the foundation for the new bridge. And it was a fascinating thing because, you know, I come from a background in construction, excavation, and all of that, and so I, I'm one of those that I see every piece of equipment that goes by, and I've taught my granddaughter, actually, to, to say excavator, bulldozer, dump truck, and I mean, I'm so proud of her. She's wonderful at two and a half, but as I'm driving down this particular road, I notice these these very tall steel beams that look like they're about this far apart and there's a crane there and with this large hydraulic mechanism that is is on top of these steel beams and they're driving those beams into the ground and if you look very closely as you get closer to those steel beams that are being driven in the ground there's markers on them every five feet to tell them how deep in the ground that piling has been driven. And I noticed as I went by, we went by a couple of days in succession, and I began to notice as I went by, the top of that beam said 125 feet. I could only see about 30 feet of it. But it was telling me that beam had already been driven into the ground some 90 feet. They still had 35 more feet to go. What were they seeking to do? They wanted to make sure that the pilings, that the support beams for that new bridge were sitting on a firm foundation, and so they were driving those steel beams all the way to the bedrock so that that bridge would never move. The Zilwaukee Bridge in Saginaw, Michigan, many years ago, is a, a, it's just an engineering uh, phenomenon, but I remember they were talking about how that the foundations were not done correctly, and before the bridge had ever been completed, the bridge had already sunk in the ground several inches. And it was damaging the alignment with the other piers. Why? Because the foundation had not been set appropriately. If we are to understand God's intention for our relationship in marriage and for our relationships in our home, we need to understand that the foundation must be sure. 
The foundation must be settled, and it must be on something that is as solid as bedrock. And that can only be through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is mentioned in these verses that Brother Caleb read for us earlier some at least 14 times. And it seems clear to me that God is the essential foundation of this strong marriage. Psalm 127 and verse number 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So this verse is teaching us that the truth that every endeavor in life must be based or centered on our relationship with God. I spoke in Sunday school about the relentless pursuit of God in every area of our life. There's no exception. You can't remove your fishing hobby or your woodworking hobby or your, uh, your raising your kids or your, your Little League baseball or your community softball. You cannot separate those things out from your relationship with God, but your relationship with God must be so sure and so settled and so firm that it permeates every area of your life and everyone that sees you and everyone that's around you, they'll say there's something different, not weird, something different about this person and I want to be around them. They may not even understand why they want to be around you. Have you ever had that kind of person in your life where you just want to get a little closer to them? Because there's something special. It's kind of like when God's blessing that person you go to church with and maybe your prayers have been a little dry for a while, but God's blessing them. What do you do? You're kind of like, hmm, let me share a prayer request with you. Amen? Several years ago when we came off the mission field, we were in Michigan just trying to get our feet on the ground financially and was working in a church. My wife was teaching in a Christian school and I was seeking some other employment. So I took a job at a farm, a large farm, about 7,000 acres. You don't normally get a job at a farm in January, but I was hungry. I I was willing to do anything, clean out silos. That was a stretch, but I was willing to do that. But they hired me and I'll never forget when they hired me, spring came and it was a dry spring and God had already nurtured some relationships. The first day I was there, this Lutheran family said, I, now you're a preacher, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I've got something specific I want you to do. And I said, okay. He said, I want you to put a verse of the week over the break room every week. Just change the verse, put a verse of the week so that we can focus on. Well, I didn't know these guys. So I'm, man, it's all about salvation. The first several months I was there and we'd talk about the verse. I'd preach to them for a little bit, whether they wanted to hear it or not. But We got into the spring planting season. The seeds had already been put into the ground. The snow had melted and gone away. The soil had been cultivated. Everything was done, but it was dry. And I'll never forget my boss coming to me. He's a couple years older than I am. His name is Mark. And he said, Brian, he said, I know you're a praying man. He said, "Um, said, uh, would you pray that we get some rain? I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do better than that. I'll tell my wife to pray for rain because when she prays, things happen. I meant it with all honesty, and he kind of chuckled, and so I told my wife, I don't know if she ever prayed about it or not, but about three weeks later, it had rained for like 14 days in a row, and he said, hey, Brian, do you mind asking your wife to stop praying for rain? We really need to get into the field. You know, the, the idea there, and we've joked about that for years, even since I, have, I haven't worked there in a number of years now, but from time to time we keep in contact, and many of them got saved. It was just a w- wonderful thing that God did in that time that I was there, but we still keep that relationship, and we'll joke about it, and I'll say, hey, is it dry this year? He said, yeah, but don't, don't ask Chris to pray for rain, amen? The idea is that 
Christ is so much the focus of our life that others can see it. We're not doing it for show, but God shining through us is so evident that others will say, man, I don't have what they have. I'll never forget it. When I went to Pensacola Christian College, grew up in church, grew up, you know, around other people. And, you know, I, I, well, you've talked to my Sunday school teachers and school teachers. It might be a different story, but I'm preaching today. But I wasn't that bad of a boy, but there was something wrong in my heart. I didn't know what it was. Brother Jones probably remembers this time in my life. I was really searching spiritually. And I'll never forget, I got to Pensacola Christian College, and I was in a room with a man named Steve Bryan, and Steve Bryan was from Junietta, Michigan, and the Christian school there, and man, he was just that guy that was like, he never did wrong. I don't think he ever had a wrong thought. He was the most reverent, holy person I'd ever met, and I'm just like, man, I am in the wrong room. We're like oil and vinegar. This is not going to work. Not that I was bad, but when I compared myself to him, I was like, man, I am not like him. Then I met his cousin. His cousin's name was John Thompson. John was just this bubbly personality. He was the best goalie there in the soccer on on campus in the intramural sports and just had this bubbly personality and this smile. And I'm around Steve and I'm around John and I'm like, something's wrong with me. And I just, it's, it's funny because I hadn't seen John in some 30 plus years and recently, I was, well, back in November, I was preaching at Ambassador Baptist College in their chapel. And John Thompson walked up to me. He and his wife had just moved and taken a position on staff at Ambassador. And I said, John, you didn't know this because I've never seen you. I didn't know how to get in touch with you. I hadn't really pursued it. But I said, John, you lived a life in front of me that God used to show me that I needed to be saved. You see, my friend, there are people in this world, some of which may be seated here today, that they're doing the best they can. But you living a Christ-like life before them is identifying something different that's missing in their own life. And it's one of the greatest joys in the world. I wish you'd seen, it was a humbling experience for John for me to tell him this, but I wish you'd seen the smile. I know he was smiling on the inside because God had used him to reach a man that he didn't see for over 30 years that was there preaching in chapel. And I know there was this a joy on the inside of him thinking, God, thank you for making a difference in me that other people have noticed. My friend, as we have this bedrock of a strong marriage, this relationship with the Lord, we need to understand being rightly related to the Lord brings a divine dimension to marriage. What do I mean by that? When both the husband and the wife are in a vital, growing relationship with the Lord, you can pray together. You know, I, I'm still amazed. I, 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 we pray all the time. We pray without ceasing, literally. We pray over everything. But it's amazing the time when I, I take my wife's hand and, and I begin to pray. I can feel her smile. My eyes are closed, but I can feel it. Why? Because she enjoys the closeness of our relationship, that she gets to hear my petition to her father when I talk about not only myself, but her and our family and our relationships and our ministry. Let me tell you, there is nothing more joyful than to come before the throne of the grace of God together as a believer, and that's only possible because we're rooted in the same foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second wonderful benefit of having this great foundation is one that we can worship together. 
You know, Chris and I have the wonderful benefit of being able to do ministry together, and we've been doing it literally for most of our marriage. Only a few years in there when we were transitioning and working different jobs in different places, but we would always come together. We were always worshiping together in the same place. We could always sing together. I'm up here. She's down there, but we're singing together. We're worshiping the Lord together. We're praying together. We're raising our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord together. And then thirdly, you can discuss the things of God together. Some of our greatest discussions have been over doctrine. Well, that makes for a great date night, doesn't it? Hey, honey, what do you think about the doctrine of justification? I don't know. Let's go out and have a meal and talk about it. You say, that's weird. Well, it's not weird when you have that same relationship and God has been so good and you, you begin to nurture your relationship with the Lord together and get a greater understanding of what he's done for you and just hear how God's working in their life individually and how you can share how God is uh, working in your own life and the prayers that maybe they do not even know about that God has been working in or the scriptures that have been speaking to your heart. Let me tell you, you want a closeness, you want a foundation, you want something that is sure that will stand the test of time. Let me tell you, you're able to worship together. You're able to grow together and discuss the things of God together when you both know the Lord. This mutual relationship with God moves their own relationship beyond the physical into the spiritual. Oh, I love to be in her presence. I really love to be in her presence. But when we can be in the presence of God together, worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord together, there's nothing more exciting, nothing more fulfilling. You know, the thing that concerns me is that there might be someone here today that your foundation is not sure. The Bible refers to it as being unequally yoked together. In other words, one of you knows Christ and one of you does not know Christ, or perhaps both of you have never come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, we throw terms out like that sometime and like, what did he just say? Never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It just simply means you've never understood that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Why would he do such a thing? Because he knows that you're a sinner and there's no hope of you going to heaven unless you believe that he sent his son Jesus to die for you and to pay for your sins. You know what that is, my friend? It's simply the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. I'll tell you what, the day that I realized that God sent his son to die on the cross for my sins, that was good news. That was better than gas buddy telling me where I could buy gas for three cents a gallon cheaper, amen. He could tell me that I could know for sure that I was going to heaven. I stopped, we stopped at a car wash in Cleveland yesterday and met a young man named Tristan. And he's, I think he said he was 26 year, years of age and he was new. It's a brand new car wash. And Tristan was there and he was working on the machine a little bit. And I began to talk about Trist, or talk to Tristan. And uh, he said uh, he had asked for my email address, and my email address is bbaggettatminister.com. It's been that for 20-plus years. And he said, so you're a preacher. And in my mind, I'm going, well, here we go. Don't know where this conversation is going to go. I hope it's been a positive experience for him in the past. I said, I am a preacher. I, he said, well, that's good. I said, Tristan, do you know the Lord? And he goes, well, yeah, I go to church. He told me the name of the church. I didn't recognize it. And I said, Tristan, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And he said, well, I hope so. Well, I'm glad he said that. I would much rather him, him to say, oh, yeah, I got saved when I was a boy and I was baptized and I'm serving the Lord. And he didn't have that look about him, but 
Looks are deceiving sometimes, but he said, I hope so. And so you know what I did? I did what every Baptist preacher would do. I pounced right on top of that. And for the next several minutes, I prayed that his computer would not work and he would be able to just spend some time with us. He was at work. I couldn't take him away from work, but I was praying that his fingers would fumble, the thing would crash, and I would just be able to talk to him about the Lord. And that's exactly what happened. I was able to talk to Tristan. You know, when I think about that, Tristan has a young boy. He didn't tell me whether or not he was married, but I'm thinking to myself, Tristan will never understand all that God can bring to his life and his relationship and his family until his foundation is sure and his, and his eternity is settled in Christ. So my friend, I say that to you today, and it's unusual. You say, at Lakewood Baptist Church, who could possibly not know Christ? It's preached every week from the pulpit, but I tell you, I sit under Brother Bob Jones for a number of years as my pastor, and although I heard the gospel message time and time and time again, and even responded several times in my life, there was still that nugging, or that, uh, that tugging, there's the right word, that tugging, pulling of the Holy Spirit that was saying, it's still not right, something's not right. You say, well, how many times do you have to pray? I hadn't reached that point where I realized this is my need. I am lost, and I need Jesus Christ to save me. And it was that experience that I spent around other people whose foundation was sure in my life, and I got away from home and friends that God said, here's your need, Brian, and I responded. I'm so glad I did. Not only do I have the hope of eternity in heaven, but I have the joy of forgiveness. I have the joy of the right relationship with my heavenly Father. I have the joy of the relationship of the direction of the Spirit of God with me every single day, guiding me in every area of my life if I will allow Him to do that. And I can live my life to the fullest because my foundation is secure. My friend, if you're here today and you do not know Christ... You don't know what I'm talking about. You're doing the best that you can, but something's missing. My friend, I'm telling you, if your salvation is missing, then you'll never be able to enjoy the blessing of a spirit-filled marriage. You see, it is that bedrock. If they were to build that bridge... In that town that I was discussing earlier where they're driving those steel beams in, but let's just say the worker said, hey, we want to save some of this steel. We want to cut some cost. This river's never flooded to this area. This ground is stable enough. This bridge, this ground will hold this bridge, and they decided to cut some corners. It would never stand the test of time bouncing of the heavy trucks going over day after day and the dump trucks and the semis just pounding and pounding and pounding, the foundations would begin to crumble. And that's exactly what will happen to a marriage that is not founded on the bedrock of salvation. The second thing I want to discuss this morning out of the scriptures is simply the basics of a strong marriage. If you know your foundation is secure, then what do we do? I want you to understand there's several non-negotiable essentials that stand as these pillars. These are things that will hold that, that marriage strong, will take you through the storms and the trials of time. 
We see them, first of all, in, in verse number 25 of this chapter. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It says there in verse number 28, it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You know, this love, when we speak of love, we're not talking about the kind of love that you watch on television. We're not talking about the kind of love that you see in movies. We're talking about the kind of love that only comes out of a strong relationship between man and wife because it's based on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, guys, we often think that we've got this love thing under control, but do you, did you see what God did here in the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God? He preserved for us how to love our wives. We think, well, I know how to love my wife. But he says, no, 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 you don't. You don't need to love her the way you think you need to love her. You need to love her the way you love yourself. That's different. What do I mean by that? There's not a man in here that can't go to the mirror and go, I still got it. There's still abs in there somewhere. It looks like one big ab. But they're still in there. You know, a man can look at his arm in the mirror and go, oh, yeah. You know, later he'll pick up that weight that he so easily moved years earlier, and he'll go, he feels like an arm just stretched three inches. But on the inside, he can look, and he goes, I know how to take care of myself. I know what kind of truck I want. I know what kind of gun I want to carry. I know what kind of deer rifle I want. I know what kind of boat I want. I know what kind of fishing lure I want. I know what my garage needs to look like. I know the tools that I want in my box. I know what kind of box I want. I know how to love myself. And that's why God said that. He said, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Hmm. Then I need to, I need to pay attention, man. I need to understand that I need to love her. I need to make sure that she feels as loved as I feel loved by my own self. Hmm. This kind of love is to be mutual. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 1 through 5, it talks about it even flows from a deeper, more spiritual kind of love. I'm going to come down off the platform for a moment. But when we're talking about this love and the foundation is founded on the Word of God and my relationship with God, there's going to be times when the Spirit of God is going to say, Hey, dude, you messed up. What you just said to your wife was unloving. And we'd think to ourselves, no, it wasn't. Because we're thinking about it the way we think about it. And yet she received it differently, and the Holy Spirit's going to be the one to slap you on the back of the head and say, that was a dumb thing to say. And that's when that foundation of that relationship with God is going to allow us to say, oh, okay. Well, if that doesn't mean what I thought it meant to her, then what can I say or do for her that makes her feel the love that God has for her? How can he love her through me better? You see where that foundation comes in? That relationship with the Lord. I'm working on that relationship with the Lord to the point that I'm listening. I'm intently listening to the voice of God under the inspiration through the word of God. And I'm thinking I need to love her and she needs to love me in a way that God wants them to be loved. The second relationship or the second basic of this basic truth of the strong marriage is spirit filled is one of loyalty verse number 31 look at that verse it says for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh loyalty speaks of the law of leaving and cleaving 
It was what God expected of the first married couple, Genesis 2 and verse number 24. And it's what he expects of every other married couple. When a man and a woman are married, there's a fundamental shift in their relationship to others. How do we know that? Because we study the scriptures. Our foundation is in the word of God. And we understand if it's in the Bible and it's written specifically to us in our relationship with our marriage, then there's something that we need to take note of. We need to understand that if we are to be loyal to one another and loyal to the Lord, when he says leave and cleave, there must be a reason for it. Anybody that's been in the ministry any length of time and done marriage counseling, you understanding the minist- or this mindset of leaving and cleaving is paramount of importance in a relationship. Let me illustrate. After I catch my breath. When I would do premarital counseling, it was, sometimes it was somewhat humorous. They come in and they're just all, oh, you're just like, time out. I can't handle any more of it. Turn the air up in here or something. You know, we got to get through this. We've got all of these lessons to do and you're just Google-eyed at each other. And we would go through it and they would all, anybody in here done marriage counseling, here's what they say. Oh, yeah, we know that. 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 And you're like, why are we even in here? They know everything. So this is what I would do. I said, okay, after the marriage, and, and I made them go through all the lessons, and after the wedding, I would say, one month from now, my wife and I are going to take you out to dinner. And the purpose for that is now they're married, but now they're going to pay attention. Now they have 30 days together. Oh, yeah, that's marital bliss, but there's been a couple of bloopers. It's been a couple of glitches. So at the one-month mark, we get together, and it's funny, I don't say anything. We just say, Hey, guys, you still love each other? Oh, yeah. Do you still like each other? And they go, yeah. Well, tell me, what's happened in the last 30 days that's taken you by surprise? And suddenly, they start bringing out things that we talked about in detail that they said, oh, yeah, we know that. Oh, yeah, we know that. (laughs) But now they're like, what was that again? Not only would we meet them on the 30-day mark, but on their one-year anniversary or they're close to it, we would take them out to eat. And the reason I bring this up is because I would say in 9 out of 10 of those times, there always came up an issue with an in-law. As those issues began to come out, it was amazing to me. I went back and I read this principle of leaving and cleaving, and I went, hmm, I guess that's why that's in there. It's important for you to establish your own home. It doesn't mean that you cut your family off for life. It just says, hey, I'm an an in-law now or an outlaw, however you want to look at it. I was an outlaw when I married into her family. I'm an in-law because other people are marrying into ours now. But now as an in-law, you know I have a responsibility to not meddle. I have a responsibility. I've trained my kids to turn to the Lord, look to the Lord. Now I have to let them do that. And I have to trust them to follow the Lord and allow the Lord to lead them like he did me. It was funny. when I was having a conversation with someone recently. My son is seeking to take his first pastorate now. And and I was talking to another uh, fellow my age. And and he was going, well, he needs to do this. And he needs to do that. And he needs to do that. And he needs to watch out for this and his finances. And I started laughing. He goes, what's so funny? I said, I'm remembering when you and I were that age. I said, we had none of those things together. And he went, oh, yeah, you're right. That's why I think God just doesn't want us to meddle sometimes. 
Follow that principle and allow the Lord to lead you and to guide you. Be loyal to one another. Don't, guys, the last thing you should ever say to your wife is, my mama does this. Please listen to me and save Brother, uh, Brother Gilbert some counseling. Don't do that. It doesn't matter if your mama's cornbread's the best in the county. Don't say that to your wife, especially after she just made cornbread. Be sensible about it. Let the Spirit of God close your lips, seal your lips, duct tape your lips, put super glue on your lips if he needs to, to prevent you from falling into some of the pitfalls that we so easily do. I say this because, and I say this with humor, because actually humor takes the sting out of the truth sometimes. And I don't know about you, but when we're talking about the sensitivity of the marriage, sometimes it hurts to hear the truth, and that's why I do that. But I'm telling you about situations in my own life, in our marriage, so that it makes you under, or helps you understand we deal with this also. This third aspect of this Christ-centered marriage is one of respect. A mutual respect is fundamental for any marriage that expects long-term success. Several passages speak about this matter, and let me give you a couple today. Here in verse number 22 through 24, it says, Wives, submitting yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject to your husbands. You know, God is not establishing the husband as some kind of dictator in the home. He's establishing a hierarchy. He's establishing a chain of command that he knows when this chain of command is followed that it's going to bring honor to the Lord. It's going to bring security to the wife's life. It's going to bring security to the children's life. They're going to know who's in charge, and the one that's in charge is going to understand he's not really in charge, but he's looking to the one who is. See, we need to understand there are some principles here. The husband is not to demand submission from the wife. If you look at verse 22 without considering verse 21, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your spouse a disservice. You need to understand, she is a child of God as much as I am, and I need to treat her as an, uh, just like the Lord would want her, his daughter to be treated. I need to speak to her in that way. I need to love her in that way. I need to communicate with her in that way. I need to, guys, you understand this word, you need to respect her in that way. We understand that because of our firm foundation in the word of God and our relationship with God, the guiding hand of the spirit of God. You know, I say to this to you before I move on that the reason some wives have a hard time submitting to their mates is because the man is anything but Christ-like in his love for her. Oh, the time that I'm like, honey, I just want you to, I think we need to do this. And I feel a little resistance. I need to check my own spirit, not hers, and say, am I following the Lord? Because if she's following the Lord and I'm following the Lord, there should be no resistance. If I'm submitted to the Lord, I'm submitted to her, those relationships are intact, then I should expect us to be in agreement when God is guiding us. I didn't say that there wouldn't be questions. Hello? There'll be some questions. But it's not resistance. It's not a submission. It's a mutual respect and an understanding that God is working through both of us. And guys, help, let me help you out here. She's going to bring some things to the table that you never thought of. And you need to think of those things. Amen, Brother Brian. Guys, I know you're the one saying amen, but you got really quiet right there. Well, you're telling my wife that she can help me. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. 
You know, verse number 28 and 29, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. He is to nourish. He's to bring to maturity. A godly husband helps his wife reach her fullest potential in God. It's not about her just helping me reach my full potential, but I need to understand God has a plan for her as well, and I want her to reach her full potential, and God is going to work through me to make that a possibility. But I can only understand that. I can only be used of God to fulfill that when my relationship is remaining firm and planted and centered in him. I'm to cherish. The idea of to cherish is to soften with heat. Now, some of you guys just got the torch out. I'll soften her up. No, that's not what it's talking about. The husband is to give tender love to his spouse. The primary want and need of most women is this tender love. They need to feel loved and they crave special attention. They need time, attention, a sense of security. A loving husband can easily provide all these things to his wife. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God will direct us. We're just dumb jocks that God can say, you're not that dumb when you listen to me. I can make you look a lot smarter than you really are. Would you listen to me? The idea of faithfulness, Ephesians 5 and verse number 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted. The idea that I want to be faithful to my wife, I want to be kind to her, I want to be tender-hearted to her, and she wants to be that way with me. She needs to know that I am going to be with her until the end. Amen? How is this possible? How are these basics ever fulfilled in our marriage? Well, they're not unless our bedrock is firmly planted in him. Our foundation is founded on the bedrock of him. I come back to this, my friend, this morning. If you're here today, and it doesn't matter if you're married or not. If you're married, then I hope you're listening. If you're not married, I hope you're listening. Because if you hope to get married one day, you're going to have all of these responsibilities. It's better for you to know them now than it will be to learn them later. If you are married this morning and you say, I realize I'm imperfect, that's a good place to be because now the Spirit of God can help you overcome your shortfalls. You know, when somebody drives by you and, they go, and they're motioning for you and they're pointing back at the back of your car, you start looking in the mirror and maybe you pull over and you get out and you check and you realize, oh, I have a tire that's going flat. Aren't you grateful for that person that brought those things to your attention, saved you for, perhaps from an accident? You know, that's what the Spirit of God does with the preaching of the Word of God. He starts pointing at your, get your attention. Now you stop the car for a minute and you... You focus in on what could they possibly be pointing at, and the Spirit of God says, hey, you need this. I do believe that there could be somebody here this morning that, honestly, you're not hooked into the foundation of the bedrock of Christ Jesus. Right now, in your heart, if I said, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? You want to say, yes. If I ask everyone to raise their hand, you would raise your hand, but you know there's a question in the back of your mind. 
because the Holy Spirit is waving at you and saying there's something wrong. And there's a stop in your spirit and you're saying, is there something wrong? Am I not saved? Do I not know that I'm going to heaven? And the Holy Spirit of God right now is saying, you need salvation. You need me. You need me as a bedrock. My friend, I want to ask you today, and I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and to close their eyes. No one's looking around. Just me. You're sitting there with your head bowed, and why do we do that? For privacy, for you to be able to respond without anyone else knowing. But if you were to say, if I said to you right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And right now in your heart, you feel the Holy Spirit waving you over, saying something's wrong here. If you sense that in your spirit right now, would you raise your hand and let me see it? No one else. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. You put your hand up immediately. Someone else. No looking around. Someone else says, something is wrong. And God's knocking on my window today. He's knocking on my heart. And I hear him. And I'm concerned. Here's my hand all over the auditorium. Someone else. I remember the day that God did this in my own life. It kind of shocked me. It surprised me. But he identified my need to be saved. Anyone else right now before I move on? I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Someone that would, someone else that's here, you say, Brother Brian, I know for sure that I'm saved. I've got that settled. But maybe I haven't driven the pilings deep enough in my relationship with my spouse. And I feel like the foundation of my marriage is weak. Maybe you've been married so long that the foundation weakness has begun to show as cracks and wear and tear and unevenness and instability. And you say, Brother Brian, I need to revisit this. The Holy Spirit is waving me over right now and he's saying, you need to get your relationship centered on Christ. You need to pursue your relationship with Christ like you never have before and your family's future depends on it. You say, that's me, preacher, this morning all over the auditorium. Would you raise your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. Someone else, I see your hand. Thank you. Someone else, I need to drive the pilings deeper. I need to be Christ to be the center of my relationship all over the auditorium. Let me see your hand. I see yours. Thank you. I'm glad I waited. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Brian, man, I thought we were doing pretty good. But today I'm simply reminded that I'm an imperfect being. And I need to work on my relationship with Christ so that my other relationships can be stronger. Here's my hand, Brother Brian, all over the auditorium. I see your hand. Thank you. I see yours. I see yours, 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 all over the auditorium. I need to work on my relationship with Christ. That's my prayer today, God speaking to my heart. Here's my hand, preacher. Will you pray for me? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after we pray, the invitation is going to be given. The piano will play. Brother Andrew will sing softly. I want Christians to remain silent. We're going to stand with our head bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to stand to make it easier for those that raise their hand to be able to move and come forward to the altar and pray and say, God, today I want to be a day of difference. I want today to be a day of change. 
I want today to be a day that the foundation pilings are driven deeper, that I'm settled on the bedrock of Christ. I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. And so you're going to come in just a moment. It's not going to be an embarrassing thing. No one's going to look around. But we're going to take the Bible and show you how that you can be saved, how you can trust Christ, how you can establish that foundation in Christ if you'd simply come.